Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking to Christina Devereaux about the power of pausing. Christina Devereaux is an associate professor and director of clinical training in the Dance Movement Therapy and Counseling Program at Antioch University, New England. She serves as co-editor for the American Journal of Dance Therapy and is a senior faculty member at Inspirees, a training program for DMT in China. Christina is also an international faculty member for Dance Therapy New Zealand. Christina received the 2008 President's Award from the American Dance Therapy Association. Christina has a lot more accomplishments that you can find in the podcast episode summary, but I did not have enough time to fit that all in. And that's why I'm intrigued that Christina chose to talk about the power of pausing today. Enjoy! This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Hello, Christina. Hello. Can you tell us why you were interested in discussing the power of pausing today? Sure. Well, actually, I think there are a few reasons And let me first say that this topic is certainly not something that I've mastered, but it's something that I feel like I've come to understand for myself over and over is essential to our mental and physical health. And also as a dance movement therapist, I'm aware that there may be a misconception that the focus in the DMT process is only on the discharge of emotions or kind of mobilizing everything into action. And so I'm happy to give you some personal examples of what I mean. But I am um, the first to admit I'm an expert at kind of jam-packing my life. Like if my calendar has a blank spot, I see this as space for one more appointment. And people often say, wow, I admire you. You do so much. And well, I know there's no doubt that I'm proud of my accomplishments, but I sometimes don't see this as a strength. And when people ask me how I get so much done, the truthful answer is sometimes badly. But at times, my capacity to hold so much certainly can increase my productivity. But other times, sort of jamming in one more thing actually can create chaos. So this is really this topic is interesting to me because I know I'm not alone in this experience. And I see the same thing happening with my colleagues, my clients, some of my students and family members. And as our pace in life continues to kind of rev up, people are finding themselves checking email at stoplights or texting while out to dinner. I see you shaking your head. So (laughs) you might know this part of yourself. This is not uncommon. Um, You know, people are texting while they're out to dinner with on a date or out with a loved one and and they're booking so many back-to-back appointments that there's really no time to be in between. And I mean that in between. So I talk about pausing. We must talk about transition as well, because I think this is really the crux of the matter. And I really been looking at this for myself kind of more and more, especially as I'm in my midlife, literally in transition. I like to describe pausing as an intentional experience where you allow yourself to temporarily engage in some respite, some hiatus, or some breathing space. The breathing space from the doing experiences to be more. And that could be emotional investment, physical momentum, intellectual tension, literally embracing rather than pushing through transitions, 
and standing at the threshold in between where you've been and where you're going. So in psychotherapy, we call this being in a liminal space. So I often ask myself, you know, what's wrong with being in between? What's wrong with that? Sometimes I feel like we we plow through and it certainly can be quite uncomfortable, but there's power in embracing this liminal transitional space because if you give it permission and you can tolerate ambiguity, perhaps the anxiety that it induces can actually surprise you. And so I've learned to trust it. And actually, funny story, my mother taught me kind of at an early age, something that she described as the HALT theory, H-A-L-T. <laughs> she says, you, you know, you can't make any rational decisions when you're hungry, angry, lonely, <laughs> or tired. So HALT and then wait. You know, maybe back then she was really talking about the power of the pause. Thanks for sharing that. So you said- My mom will be happy to, yeah. to know I shared it. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. So you said liminal? Liminal space. It's Latin for limens, I think that means threshold. Oh, yeah. Yes, I was shaking my head a lot and I relate to that. And I have strong feelings about where we are as a whole going with all of this momentum and not incorporating enough pause. And I don't think- I'm alone in this or you're alone. And I think a lot of people are probably curious about this subject. So mm-hmm. I think it's great to have your perspective on this with your knowledge of dance movement therapy and the mind-body connection. So I wanted to ask you, what exactly is going on in the body when someone is constantly in motion? Yeah, that's great. So let's actually take an example of the beginning of life. At birth, a baby is born with like a billion neurons and roughly that's about as many nerve cells as there are stars in the Milky Way. So that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so these neurons, they're hungry for connection and information and there's so much happening so rapidly, so much movement and motion in the baby's brain with every experience. And at the same time, you notice how important it is for a baby to rest and to sleep, sometimes very long periods of time. So what the baby's actually doing during the rest is that she's allowing her body and her brain to integrate all the new experiences. So there's movement and then rest, and then movement and more rest. And it is in the rest or the pause that allows for the integration of the experiences in the brain and the recuperation of the body. So the same movement and rest cycle happens during the rhythm and the pulsations of birth and labor. There's a movement forward and then a pause and then a forward and then a pause and over and over until the rhythm of experiences transition the baby into birth and the birth transition is complete. So certainly as we get older and older, we can tolerate more experiences and our brain becomes more of a, like a master as new neural pathways are myelinated and developed, but it doesn't mean that we don't need this fluctuation between movement and rest. It also doesn't mean that nothing is happening during the pods or the rest. In fact, so much is. So actually sleep allows our active neurons to rest. 
And the supportive cells called glial cells clean up the toxins that the neurons produce. It's like taking out all the trash to the dump and giving room for what's to happen the next day. So if we don't get enough sleep, then the toxins remain there and that makes our attention falter and our memories impaired and our ability to think through problems is challenged. So literally our brain becomes cluttered. Like we don't take out the trash. It just piles up, piles up and piles up. Even our insulin can be affected, which helps regulate metabolism. So without adequate rest or in constant motion, ironically, we're more likely to gain weight and eat more. That's just a few things Mm. that happens in the body. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like naturally there should be a lot of motivation to take pauses. What is this motivation behind moving all the time and not stopping? Why is there so much anxiety around pausing if it's such a natural thing that we need? Well, it's a good question. I think because we're in a fast-paced environment and everyone's so intentionally focusing on getting getting things done and moving forward and getting to the next thing. And we have constant bombardment with things coming at us. So, I mean, it's just my assumption. What is the motivation in me? Sometimes it's, you know, trying to fit everything in or what is the motivation in motion? Is that what you asked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it certainly could depend on what's driving us or, or are we good enough or are we worthy enough? Did we do enough? It's all the enoughs. Mm-hmm. That's what I would assume. But I think it probably is pretty particular for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how certain functions, like more of the inner workings of the body, contribute to this. I read your article on your blog about this subject, and you mentioned muscular tension and nervous system processes. Yeah. I- imagine if you're constantly holding and holding and holding and taking in, your body has to respond to that. Sometimes we come into what we call the sympathetic state of arousal or sort of a fight or flight place. We kind of close in, we narrow in, we actually prepare, our body prepares to run. When the body is in a state of sympathetic heightened arousal, the body says, oh my goodness, I have, I have so much to do. I have to go. I have to be in motion. I have to run. I have to fight or flight. All the blood comes to our limbs so that we can actually run and get out into the space or we can fight. Imagine the tension. That, that we hold if we're in a constant state of heightened arousal. Imagine how that, how living in that kind of state of being happens all the time. I actually went on a trip a couple of years ago to, to Bali, Indonesia. And I, I told my friends that I would let them know when I arrived and I would let them know when I was departing, but we wouldn't be in contact in between. And that was my choice. And it was the first time that I ever really allowed myself to kind of unplug really completely ever and kind of step back, step away. And, and it did, it took me a couple of days, but what I did discover was that giving myself permission to kind of take this hiatus, it, it recalibrated my nervous system in, in some way. Like I noticed I had flashes of new ideas of projects. I really felt my feelings, my dreams were more vivid. My interactions with others, they were deep, they were present And really, like during this trip, I also engaged in creative experiences and I stepped outside of my comfort zone. But what was also surprising is that I rested. I mean, I slept deep and long and because my body was clearly begging for it. And one day out of habit, I think, 
I decided to check my email. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> actually the state of my body immediately changed. And I said, wow, this is the state that I've been living in. It, it made me very sad. So to me, this was sort of the tension and the nervous system recalibration that happened for me in, in that experience of Bali, which prompted actually the blog post. I think it's also important to state that pausing doesn't need to happen in isolation. It also doesn't need to be long. You know, you don't need to go all the way to Bali, <laughs> oh, man. which would be nice. But <laughs> while, I, while I emphasize that there's importance in getting enough sleep, what is also important is recuperative experiences through the day. Yeah, here's another example, actually. I was thinking about, I was teaching a seven-hour long, seven-day class in China. And we had breaks in between, as well as a longer break at lunch. And my first experience when I was there, I thought during the lunch break, I would put on some music and kind of fill the space. But I was actually surprised because the students turned off the lights, they laid on the floor, they closed their eyes and they took a nap. <laughs> and I was astonished because what they were doing was that they were giving their body time for recuperation and they were integrating their experience by taking a pause. And then after the pause, they were ready to come back and engage more. So I don't know if it's our culture, but there, you know, there are siestas <laughs> that in other cultures, they, they take long naps and lunches and they spend time with friends and family but in, in our culture we go 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 we work 10 hour days and then we come home and work and then we work on the weekends and then we check our email while we're on holidays and we check our messages and just imagine what we're, what our body is living and we think we're being more productive but from your example and from right what we can understand it actually isn't being more productive necessarily. It might be more productive to actually take those pauses, let the information exactly. integrate and make space for creativity and just being totally yeah. present. That's yeah, so because cool. when you when you pause, the intention is for integration to happen and recuperation. And then when the integration and recuperation happen, that allows for inspiration. And then our creative flow can unfold. And that was my experience when I was in Bali. <laughs> Maybe it was Bali, but I really do feel that it was my intentional slowing down, shutting down, having an opportunity for myself to recalibrate. Hmm. How does dance movement therapy aid this process? Well, specifically, I think that dance movement therapy is a discipline that uses the therapeutic relationship and the engagement in interactive movement experiences to build an integration of mind and body. So if one is kind of overriding the other, the work in dance movement therapy is to try to support clients to bringing this into balance. So think about, I think of this image of being on a swing set or the experience of a swing. So at the top of the swing, there is a moment where you are kind of suspended in air where there's like a vibration of potential energy. But I think dance movement therapy can get people in touch with these powerful experiences, holding onto this potential energy in their lives 
and in their body and kind of begin to embrace the palpable energetic creativity that happens within that potentiality. And dance women therapists also are very skilled in their ability to attune to clients and to co-regulate and experience through the modulation of movement, meaning supporting expansion of movement or the contraction or narrowing of movement. We use a technique called mirroring. And in many ways, dance movement therapy can support the down regulation of a client who might need assistance in engaging their parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest part of their autonomic nervous system to come to a state of calm. Do you have any examples of of how a dance movement therapist can do that? Coming to a state of calm? Yeah, you mentioned co-regulating and helping modulate movement. Well, you know, it requires really that a dance movement therapist is really in tune with what's happening in their own nervous system and what's happening in relationship with the other. So sometimes I might get a clue like, oh, I'm feeling there's some anxiety. Is that coming from me or is that coming from the client? And if I'm feeling anxious, then to first put in my body deep exhalations, long exhaling breaths, bringing my body to a state of where I can move into a state of indulging rhythms or indulging experiences. That in itself models and supports a a client to get to that place as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminds me of a parent-child co-regulating experience. Exactly. And actually that's, that's how we first have our template. Our template is actually set prenatally. If we have a, a parent, let's say a pregnant mother, that's constantly in a state of hyperarousal in her pregnancy, all of those feelings and experiences get translated in some way into chemicals and in the body of the, the baby. There's a shared dance there. And so if we already have this heightened state of hyperarousal, then the stress hormone cortisol gets more and more heightened for an unborn child. And then when they're born, it's almost like their thermostat is kind of set higher than maybe pregnant mother who had a quieter, calmer experience or less stressful is probably a better term to say. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of even prenatally. But of course, if you describe mother, child, I would also say that that gets enhanced too. And what's it like if mom's depressed or mom's really in a heightened state of hyperarousal or nervous or anxious all the time or feeling abandoned? All of that gets translated to those very fragile nervous systems. Remember, there's 100 billion neurons in a baby's brain, like stars in the Milky Way. Let's say now we're working with adults, kind of like the way you were talking about your experience. How do they start becoming more independent of a therapeutic relationship? How can dance movement therapy still help the person be a little more independent and grow out of that need for someone else to help regulate them? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, right, because self-regulation or kind of the ability to navigate and modulate our emotions, that happens through relationship, through those early experiences. So oftentimes dance movement therapists can support our clients. Again, I feel like one of our greatest strengths as a dance movement therapist is our ability to attune and mirror and to be with another in that perspective. But Yeah, speaking of clients... I was reflecting on this topic and I was thinking about many of my clients who often describe feeling stuck in their recovery process 
And it also reminds me of my own conflict between challenging myself to advance in personal and professional development versus allowing space and time for certain energetic shifts to occur Mm -hmm. organically. How can people distinguish between being stuck versus being in the midst of a pause that will ultimately help them move forward? Yeah, I love this question. It's a great one. It's my life conflicts. (laughs) Uh, Well, all I can say is what I really feel strongly about is trusting that transition times always have a purpose. Mm -hmm. So again, I ask myself all the time, what's wrong with being in transition? What's wrong with being in that in-between place? Why, Why do we push through it? It certainly can be uncomfortable. And here we are. This is where our clients get stuck, these stuck places. This is the liminal transitional space. If you give it permission and can tolerate ambiguity, getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable and not knowing, perhaps the anxiety that it induces really can surprise you. Here's a quote that I love by Father Richard Rohr, who's a recognized author and a priest, actually. He describes this space as... When you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else, it's when you are between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. So if Mm. we don't trust or we aren't trained or comfortable with how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how we entrust and wait, you will run from your experience or we'll hold on so tightly to that place that we came from, which is, I think, when we feel stuck and the places that many of our clients are challenged by. Mm-hmm. So I think dance movement therapy can support clients in exploring polarities of tension, like holding and letting go or tension and release. We can model ways that we increase the flexibility of the body. And I mean, Flexibility meaning pre-effort versus being able to do the splits (laughs) or the kind of the flexibility meaning the pre-effort, which is the the pre-effort to indirect us or taking on multiple foci. So the spatial intention of taking in more than one option at a time to learn in the body how to see possibilities. That's the quality of flexibility in the body. Mm -hmm. So we also, as a dance therapist, we can invite the qualities of decelerating through movement. The relationship to time is different than just abruptly stopping. I always talk about, it's not just turning the light switch on and off. It's about helping us learn about the dimmer switch, all those places in between on and off. We're not just Mm -hmm. shutting ourselves down and going. We are learning about how to modulate and go to all those places in between. Getting comfortable with slowing down, modulating our flow. Mm-hmm. Dance movement therapy kind of provides an opportunity for us to have, Blanche Evan calls this an embodied rehearsal, which is a term that one of our founders talks about, where we can integrate new experiences in our body so that they can become more accessible when we're confronted with challenges in our life or outside of the therapy session. So it sounds like there's not necessarily an answer to knowing, am I stuck right now? Or 
am I moving forward, but it's, you know, just a transition. It's more about being comfortable in that unknown and that transition time and trusting that it's leading us somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I'm having an image right now of a baby. They say she's stuck in the birth canal. They're stuck. They're not coming out. And I think, well, you know, I think there's power in this too. Are they stuck or, or are they needing to wiggle their way through or they needing to find a new pathway or the transition is always intentional. There's power in every transition. So I, I'm not answering your question, but I am kind of thinking mm-hmm. about the concept of stuck and maybe reframing that. Okay, so I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this. There are other possibilities. I just haven't, I haven't experienced them yet. Right. Because I believe, and the, the body tells us that in experiences of transition, in experience of pausing is when integration happens, recuperation happens, and then inspiration unfolds. I mean, I do my best thinking in the shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get the most inspired at those times where I'm getting ready to fall asleep at night or, you know, when I'm in the bathtub or I give myself permission to kind of come to that place of integration. And I think, oh, the light switch just comes on. Now, now I create a flow. The fluidity in me starts to come more alive. It's, it's a big message. If my creativity halts, then I know I need a pause. Mm-hmm. There's movement even in the pause. Like being exactly. stuck is not, not necessarily being stuck and totally stop there's still things happening and things integrating and information processing and mind and body connecting yeah and again I think I like to go back to the experience of of the swing or in the dance world fall and recovery there's a an experience the top of the swing where we're kind of suspended but you are not it's not stillness there's potential energy it's so vibratory it's so energetic so how does that translate there's room for growth there's room for expansion it's there how would more people taking pauses in their life incorporating that in their life how how do you think that might affect the collective (laughs) oh my gosh well what would it be like if we were not all on our phones Instead, we were intentional in these relational moments and just took a moment to kind of integrate one experience to the other. I mean, it's a wonderful thought process, actually, to think about how more present we might be as a collective. I think that's sort of where the mindfulness movement has come on board. Right. Do you think it would be a deeper body-based process that happens among different people? Like, yeah, would we to, move differently? I don't know. This is yeah. just a spontaneous question. but I'm It's a great curious. question. Will we move? Imagine the world if we were comfortable with ambiguity, if we could tolerate transition, if we could sink into that place of unknown. I mean, I know just personally my life would feel quieter, calmer, more alive, you know, sort of my creative flow. So if if one person can feel that experience just... And I can imagine maybe we would be more present, rest, digest. We'd have a lot more energy and ideas, but wouldn't be high strung so much, perhaps. Yeah, I'm thinking 
Will people feel less fear in general and how mm-hmm. would that affect the collective and oh, would yeah. we be more harmonious or more kind well, to each other? Yeah. More? I mean, if we're, if our body is constantly in a state of heightened arousal, sympathetic nervous system, then we are afraid, right? There's some fear, anxiety with that fight or flight. But if we're in a state where we can be more in a place of, I'm using the terms from Stephen Porges, he talks about the polyvagal theory, kind of the vagal, um, the vagus nerve interaction, the parasympathetic immobilization without fear. Imagine we can slow down, we can be present, we can get close to each other, we can rest, we can be engagement, we can we can bond, we can connect. I think that's the intention of mm-hmm. it's the distinct difference between engaging our sleep and rest cycle or not just sleep and rest cycle, but our social engagement and our safety, the part of our nervous system that says we're feeling safe versus I have to go, 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 go. I have to fight or flight or free. Mm-hmm. It's a good thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's something that would really benefit people on an individual level and on a relational level as well. People could be listening to this and saying, that sounds great, but how do I put that into practice? So what are examples of simple tools or practices that people can use to incorporate pause in their lives to promote integration and spark creativity and strengthen relationships? It's a great question. And I would want to invite everyone's inner expert around what their passions are first and what they want to reconnect to. So I'd I'd love to hear from you too about what you feel most alive and what's creative and when there is flow in your mind body connection. I mean, I think this might be different for everyone, but there are ways I think that we can harness the power of the pause. I think they're certainly individual, but one of the things as I spoke about, let's get off our phone, especially, especially, in when we're in transition, you know, if we're going from one place to the next, you know, what would it be like if we just acknowledge this liminal space and sink into it and not have to do anything or find a way to entertain or to be busy, to busy our brain. In other words, like really make transition time, intentional time between sessions this is an this is a transitional time this is a close the door leave the office and get in the car and this is my transitional time from going from one place to the other transition again this is a place of ambiguity you might know where you're going and you might know where you came from but everything in between is up in the air and that can create a lot of anxiety So if we start to embrace that in a different way, then I imagine that we'll get more comfortable with ambiguity and tolerate more. And you were talking about using that time to do things that you're passionate about. Is that what you were? Well, you know, talking about sparking creative flow, you know, we don't have to shut shut the world out in order to reconnect with ourselves. When I had a sabbatical last year, I had an intention inside of the transitional time to, to see more dance, to be in the arts mm-hmm. with people that I loved and cared about. So that was sort of an experience to sort of sink into being entertained, not by 
doing, 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 but just receiving mm-hmm. and allowing that to inspire me more. And that made me feel alive and more passionate. So I think that would be different. Someone else might want to go to an art museum. Someone else might want to read a book. Someone else might want to take a walk through nature. I think it kind of depends on what makes you feel alive. You know, what mm. centers you. Yeah. I had a story actually that I share with a new coworker today from back when I was working at the league and how I used to have a lot of dreams about my work. And I was thinking specifically about one where I was doing a session with the kids on a cliff. There was, it was really dangerous. And I was, you know, worried in my sleep that I wasn't keeping these kids safe. Like I obviously wasn't letting my brain do all that work to integrate and my mind was in go, go, go. So of course, now I do a lot of active things in my transitional time. Passively, I'll sit and watch some movies or TV. But I think the things that help me is doing things that kind of get me into a flow state, like a, a creativity flow. And a lot of that is really active for me. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. thinking about that now and wondering if I should invest more time in passive flow also. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm resistant to doing yoga a lot, more than anything else. I'll go to the gym before I go to yoga. I'll play the drums before I go to yoga. I'll cook a meal. But there's something about yoga that I'm resistant to. Uh-huh. Like it's so much harder for me to get on the mat for some reason. Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> it's useful for you to know that too about yourself. Yeah. I love that you brought in the dream story too. Because as you're describing it, I'm thinking you were literally on the edge of a cliff so like right before a state of unknown, you know, right before a state of mm-hmm. you could jump off or you could walk back, but in your psyche, you were in a state of sort of ambiguity and you had to protect your clients. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of pressure <laughs> to decide perhaps. Yeah. That seems pretty ironic now that I'm thinking about that. Like that there was that state of ambiguity, that place off the cliff was so scary, but probably somewhere I needed to be comfortable with. Yeah. So there was intention in that transition and it was important. Even though you might've felt stuck. Mm-hmm. Here's a novel idea that I'm working on, building in blank space in the calendar, building in scheduling integration time and see how you decide to sink into it. You know, do you decide to kind of check out and kind of dissociate and binge watch TV? Do you, <laughs> so hard to which, decide. It's so hard to decide. Or or perhaps taking a bath or having a, a deep conversation with a, someone who's inspiring to you or, or a, a coworker or a friend. Not necessarily something that will put you in a stress place. Not talking about work or... Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's, let's talk about something interesting and inspiring. Or... Like we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking about how I, my idea for this podcast, I had told you sparked while I was at the tail end of my trip in Colombia. And I had felt so clear-minded and so creative. And these ideas were just flowing out of me. And yeah. uh, that I, I think that's just so amazing how... 
we think that being productive means go, 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 but really we can get the most, like so much out of transition time and pausing. Yeah. Yeah. Pausing. It isn't wasting time. It's actually providing space for something new to emerge. And it's a good reminder for all of us. Certainly not something I've become an expert at, but I definitely know when I have a red flag, when I feel like I I've shut down I can't think. I'm not being creative. My flow, my fluidity is is stunted. Then I actually need to stop and halt. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm hungry, I need to eat. I need to nourish myself. If I'm angry, I need to, to come into a place where I can settle my nervous system. If I'm lonely, I need to find be in relationship. And if I'm tired, I need to rest. It's a brilliant theory. <laughs> I'm going to take it with me. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, thank I think, you. I think this is a good spot to pause. <laughs> I think it's a great place to pause. <laughs> wow. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Christina, for giving us a deep, integrated perspective on what it really means to recuperate and rejuvenate. See y'all next time on Mind Your Body.